0: We are in Malachi, chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. A little review and a little preview, okay? Uh, Last time we looked at chapter 1. Chapter 1 is simply Malachi speaking what God told him to speak, and he basically said to the nation of Israel, These are the people that have come back to the land. They've rebuilt their temple. They've reestablished sacrifices. They're living there. God says, I got a problem with you. And last time we saw what the problem was in chapter 1. The problem was they just go through the motions. They're just going through the motions. There is no dedication and commitment to the living God. They're just going through the motions. And God said, I have this problem with you. Now today we're going to look at a second problem. The second problem kind of opens the door to three areas. So we'll look at all three areas, but they're all really about the second problem that God sees in these people. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story. I want to introduce you to a guy named Mr. Joe Orr. You'll never meet Mr. Joe Orr. I met him more than 30 years ago in East Texas. And we had moved to East Texas and we were going to be given the opportunity to build a house, which we had never done before. Someone in the church gave us a lot in a a development and we were going to build a house that whatever. And uh, so I said, well, I don't know. How do we go about building a house? And I had two guys in the church that were pretty savvy about these things. And they said, well, what kind of house you want? (coughs) I don't know. And they said, well, why don't you just get a piece of paper and draw a floor plan and tell us what you think a house would look like that you would like? I said, okay, I can do that. I remember in high school I had architectural drawings, so I got a piece of paper and I I sketched out this draw floor plan of what what I thought this house would be like. And I said, okay, I got this floor plan. They said, good. And I said, well, what do we do now? And they said, well, now we get the builder. He said, well, well, wait a minute now. We just don't give the builder something I drew out on a little piece of paper as a floor plan. He said, yeah, we do. I said, we give this to the builder? How much is this house going to cost? Don't worry about it. Well, okay. Uh, Is this a good builder? This is Mr. Joe Orr, they said. This is Mr. Joe Orr, who has quite a reputation in this town just give us the plan. They took the plan. We sat down with Mr. Joe Orr. He looked at the plan. He said, okay. He said, what kind of a roof do you want on the house? I said, What kind of roof? I don't know what kind of roof. He said, well, how high? I said, I don't care. Whatever. He said, okay, we'll put this kind of a roof on it. said, okay. And he said, now what's this thing in the back here? I said, well, that's a screened in porch. He said, we don't do screened in porches in East Texas. Never heard of a screened in porch. I said, well, I want a screened in porch. And Mr. Joe Orr said, okay, we'll give you a screened in porch. And I said, okay, how much is that going to cost? And he figured it all out. He'd already had it figured out. He figured it out and he gave me the price to the penny. Here's how much it's going to cost. And I said, okay, that's affordable. So what do we do now? We, we draw up some blueprints and some plans and we, we make some schedules and no, we don't do any of that. Well, how are you going to build the house? I'm going to build it from, from your floor plan. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, you're gonna gonna build a house from this drawing I just drew on a piece of paper? Yeah, sure. I got a little nervous. So I said to my two friends, So what is with this Mr. Joe Orr? And they said, We gotta understand this guy. This man is the best builder in East Texas. And not only is he the best builder, he's honest, he is trustworthy, he keeps his promise. And then they told me the story. Some years before, Mr. Joe Orr, was building houses. And he had gotten in the middle of six homes under construction at one time. And right at that time, the whole market just collapsed and the whole price of goods drew sky high. And Mr. Joe Orr, who had committed a price to each one of these six homes, to six families, found that he couldn't build the house for that price anymore. It was costing him too much for his things he had to buy to put in the house. Mr. Orr finished every one of those six homes for the price quoted. And he said, I promised you that was the price. That's the price you'll pay. It almost broke him. He almost went out of business. But you can imagine after this, if you wanted a house built, you went to see Mr. Joe Orr because he kept His commitment. Absolutely trustworthy. Good story, huh? Okay, we are now to the problem in Israel. Here are these people. By the way, once more, Malachi is the last time God is going to speak to his people in the Old Testament. Three hundred years are going to go by, plus before John the Baptist walks out on the scene. 300 years of silence. God says, this is it. This is the end of it. I got a problem with my people, the people I love. Here is the second problem. They are profaning promises. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10, second part of the verse. Prote- proclaim, profaning. Wow. Can't even say that word. Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Now, a covenant is an agreement. A covenant is a decision that people make together. And to profane it means to violate it, to break it. So they are promise breakers. The people of Israel, the people of God who are back in this land, not only are just going through the motions back in chapter 1, but now they're also known as people who break their promise. They are promise breakers. Now look, everybody breaks their promise. How many of you were into Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts? I want to see your hand. OK, pretty good group here. OK, I, I thought I would remind you of the Boy Scout oath. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country and on and on and on it goes. The Girl Scout oath, very similar. So when I joined the Boy Scouts, I committed to that promise. Well, guess what? I broke it. You did do probably. If You're a Girl Scout, Boy Scout, you probably broke the promise. A matter of fact, we have probably broken Lots of promises. So breaking promises, not too unusual. But God says, I've got this problem with my people. They have broken a promise. And the promise they have broken is a promise they made to me. This is a promise to God that they have broken. Verse 11. This is what God says. Judah, that's the people who live there, God's people, they have been faithless. They have not kept their promise. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now of all the things I would expect to find you know like what is this you know how do you marry the daughter of a foreign god anyway? What has all of this got to do with breaking the promises to God that the people of God made? This is the God who said to this people, I love you. These are the people who said we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and we'll love one another. And they broke the promise. They broke the promise, says Malachi, because they married into foreign gods. Listen to the law in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3. This is what it says. This is to Israel, not to us, has nothing to do with us. You shall not intermarry with them. With who? With anybody who is not from the community of faith. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters or your sons, or taking their daughters or your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and would destroy you quickly. For those of you who still remember the story of Solomon, this is what happened to Solomon. Solomon was a very wise man. He was a brilliant guy, but he had a little problem. He married lots of other wives, foreign wives, and the foreign wives turned his attention away from God. So Malachi, speaking for God, says, this is a problem that I'm finding among my people. You are breaking your promises to God. You are falling away to follow other gods. It just so happens that he said, you've done this by marrying these foreign women. You're falling away to follow other gods. Okay, folks, we are not Israel. But there's no sense reading this unless we can make some application to us. So let's think about this. Because we don't have this whole situation about marrying foreign people and all that kind of thing. Okay, So what does this have to say to us? When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's John 3.16 or whatever it is, there is a sense in which we make a commitment to God we make a commitment that we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. We make a promise to God who loves us that we'll walk with Him. And is it possible today for people like you and me who have made that commitment to God to be drawn away, to turn away from God, to foreign gods, Well, we don't have any foreign gods like this. We don't have any idols in our backyard. We don't don't have any of these problems. But we have other things that draw us away. I don't know what you want to call them. Some people have called them this. Money, power, and sex. They have a tendency to distract even people of the community of faith, to drop their promise to love the Lord God with all their heart and soul. It's an issue. There are distractions out there in this world. As a matter of fact, after next week and we finish Malachi, we're going into 1 John. He's going to make a big deal of this. He says the world is all around us, the culture, and the culture is filled with The desire of the eyes. Everything you see, you want. The desire of the flesh. I want all these great experiences to enjoy. The pride of life. I want to be important and successful. Even the voices that are out there that are talked to us, that tell us what the culture wants and we adopt it. This is not just a warning to Israel that you have broken your promise to God. This is a warning to the community of faith today. Be careful. We can break our promise to God. We can be turned away. Now it's not just a promise to God. There's another part to this. Because it appears also that the people of Israel have broken their promise to one another. They make promises to other people. And they break those promises. We just went through an interesting experience with a niece who is 19 years old. She's uh, in college in New Mexico, and she got herself a job working for an agency, and she was given to a doctor who had somewhat of a, of a handicapped uh, child who needed some special attention and care, and, and she really connected with this young boy, and so she was kind of taking care of this young boy in this doctor's home. She worked there for three weeks commissioned by this agency that sent her there and she never got paid. And she went back to the agency and she said, you know, I'm not, who is supposed to pay me here? I've been here for three weeks. Nobody ever paid me. And she said, well, the doctor's supposed to pay you. So she went to the doctor and she said, well, are you supposed to pay me? And The doctor said, I'm not going to pay you. So she went back to the agency and she said, the doctor said, the doctor's not going to pay me. And the agency said, well, you know, we got we to gotta look into this. We got a problem with this. Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine that anybody would do that to anybody? Would hire them, promise to pay them, and then break the promise? Hey, where are the Joe Ors in life? I want you to think about this for a minute. Why would anybody ever break a promise that they make to somebody else? Did you ever think about this? Because you've probably all broken some. I I came up with three reasons. Here's the first reason why we might break a promise. We forgot what we promised. We made a promise and we forgot it. We do this all the way. This is all the time. This is Spokane favorite. we got to get together sometime for dinner. That doesn't really mean anything here. Because most of the time I forgot everyone said that, you know. I, I, You know, just, you just say it. Don't we do this? Okay, so, uh, so that's okay if you kind of forget that you made the promise, right? Here's another reason why we forget a promise. We make the promise, but we can't keep the promise because something happens. Something happens in our life, uh, some kind of catastrophe. We have a financial turnaround. We can't keep a promise. We have a medical problem in our life. We can't keep a promise, So sometimes we just can't keep the promise we made. Does that happen to us? Is that okay? Can you break a promise when some circumstance says you can't keep the promise? And then there's this issue of, is it possible that people actually make promises today that they don't intend to keep? Like uh, college bills? that run up to fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 worth of debt and nobody really ever thought they could pay that back anyway? Is that okay? Is it okay to make a promise to a corporation and break the promise because, well, it's just a corporation? Is it okay not to pay your credit card bill? Is it okay to violate promises that we make to one another? It sounds to me like God says, you know, that's not a very good thing. Breaking promises is not a good response from the community of faith. Well, I hate to bring this up, but Malachi brings this up. Malachi says to these people in Israel, let me tell you how you people are breaking a promise to one another. It's in your marriages. I don't know how many ever got married and uh, did this. Not One before that. I plight thee my troth. Did anybody ever say this when they got married? That's right. I had a brother-in-law that I married to, sister-in-law, and he told me that he wanted me to say, I plight thee my troth. I said, you're out of your mind. I'm not, I don't even know what that means. But we used to say that, didn't we? Uh, those of you who are older, that, you know, like me, you know, we used to say, I plight thee, my troth. It was part of the promise. I plight thee. I, I promise you. That's what the word plight means. I promise. And my troth. It's the truth. I can't admit. I promise to make this commitment to you. And, and for all practical purposes, Christians do this Today. The community of faith plights the troth, whether they call it that or not. When you get married, we make a promise like this to each other. They were doing that in Israel, too. They were going through these marriages, but they weren't lasting. Chapter 2, verse 14. You say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now, I don't want to get into the whole divorce issue. We, I mean, the divorce issue, I'm, I'm not going to be condemning and I'm not going to be condoming. There are all kinds of issues with divorce today. There is nobody sitting in this room that has not been affected either personally or within your family or within your circle of friends by divorce. Everybody in this room has an experience with divorce somewhere. Okay, so so don't even worry about that. But look at it this way. This is a promise. This is a promise that some young people are saying, you know, I don't even want to make the promise. I don't want to make the promise. I'll just I'll just live together because I don't want to break the promise. Well, that's not the solution either. Do we understand that this becomes an issue not only to Israel? who apparently thought divorce was just a casual thing. Apparently, they were just getting married with the full idea that, well, if it didn't work out, they'd get divorced anyway. And it was easy enough to divorce. You just say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, it's all over. And God said, you know, I don't like this. I want the Joe Orr's. I don't like this broken covenant to God. I don't like the broken promises that we make with each other in all kinds of situations. Breaking our promises is not the thing to do. I'll let you read verses 15 and 16 on your own. We won't read them here. So here's God. Second problem. First one, they just go through the motions in chapter 1. Second problem, broken promises. Now because they break their promises, something is happening among the people of God in Israel. Okay? And that brings up the next two issues. These are kind of strange issues. Here's the next issue. God says, you cover the altar with your tears. Chapter two, verse 13. This is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Now just picture this. Here's the people of God, Israel. They don't keep the promise to God. And God withholds his blessing. And they go to God covering the worship place with their tears. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we cry. I, I started thinking about what gets tears. It could be just a little bit of something in your eye makes you cry. It could be something sad happens that makes you cry. Or it could be something that makes you even happy, happy, and, and, and you still cry. I even notice, you know, the older I get, I watch a stupid movie and I start to tear up. I never did that before. Is that something that comes with old age or what, you know? But that's not the kind of tears that he's talking about here. It's okay to be repentant and weep before God. It's okay to have confession before God and weep before the altar of God. But that's not what these people are doing. These people are coming and crying their eyes out before God. Because God isn't blessing them. Hmm. You ever watch a uh, baby? I, uh, I really like seeing babies, you know. Uh, babies cry for one of two reasons. First reason is they hurt. They have a pain and they can't fix it. The second reason is they want something and nobody will give it to them. Most babies figure out that second one pretty soon on in life. Most babies know when to cry. Now, if they keep crying because they want something and nobody will give it to them, eventually we get to stage two of crying, which is the problem among Israel. They become whiners. (laughs) Nobody likes a whining child. And nobody really likes a whining adult, especially God. God said, you come to me and you whine. You whine because I'm not blessing you. You don't deserve to be blessed. Why are you whining? Why are you covering my altar with your whining tears? A little application, by the way. If you go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks to this. Listen to some of these verses, and there's lots more, that Paul has to say to us, the people of faith today. 2 Corinthians 6.10 As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Well, That should be as sorrowful, always whining. No, no. As poor, yet making many riches, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Chapter 12 of Romans. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You start to see the big picture here. The people of God in Malachi's day are broken their promises to God. And they've broken their promises to one another. And God is withholding the blessing and their response is to go to God and whine about it. And God said, don't come and shed your tears of whining on my altar. Now there's a second thing that they seem to have done, and that is that they have frankly making God weary with all their words. They talk too much. Now, if you're one of the silent people who doesn't talk much, don't start to gloat, because this isn't about how much you talk or how much you don't talk. This is about what you say when you talk. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? Well, by saying this. Everybody who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The people of Israel coming to God and saying, you know what, it looks to us like everybody who does evil gets blessed. And we're having trouble. Of course, we would never say anything about it like that. He says to Israel, you know, it looks like you keep coming to God and saying, where is the God of justice? Do we do this with God? Do we do this? Do we come to God and just become complainers? Little application. Do we complain to God about the weather? You know, it's been 100 degrees, Lord. I mean, we had enough of this. Let's just cut it out. Do we complain to God about our neighbors? I got a guy that's got a boat sitting in front of my house. You know, he's starting to irritate me. I said, God, tell him to get that boat out in front of my house. Some people are complaining because I haven't cut my grass in three weeks. Maybe we talk to God about serious things. We got a crime problem in Spokane. God, are you not going to do anything about this crime problem in Spokane? Or maybe we have big issues like how much medicine costs now. How much the doctor charges now? I mean, I don't want to complain, God, but this is getting out of reach here. How about this one? You drive past another driver and you say, that person is either too old to drive or from my perspective too young to drive. <laughs> we become complainers. How do we do this? We we get angry. About things. We get angry and we begin to accuse people of things. Look, we live in a world that's not right. I don't know how many of you have great-grandchildren, but I have four great-grandchildren. Some of you know them. They're all basically the same age. That's hard to do, I know. One's 11, one's 10, one's 8, and then there's that sweet little girl who's 4. Three boys, one little girl. Now, you can't have my four great-grandchildren in your presence for very long until you hear, I didn't do it! He did it! He did it! I didn't do it! It's not my fault! I didn't do it! They did it! He did it! She did it! She, did it! she says he did it! He says he did it! He you ever notice that? We get to be really good at that. Yeah, you know, the Apostle Paul talks to the people who are the people of faith, that like us, and says, what, whatever has happened to being content and being thankful? I'm going to read you some convicting words from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. you got to be kidding. That can't be true. How about Philippians 4.11? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. How about Colossians chapter 3, verse 17? Whatever you do, In word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How about Philippians 4, 6? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You got the picture from Malachi? God says to Malachi, tell these people that I love, they're my people, tell them. Stop just going through the motions. Tell them to stop breaking their promises to me and to one another. To stop complaining. To stop whining. And be the people that I've called them to be. Is this to us? Well, certainly we're not Israel. But is this to us? I think it kind of is to each one of us, not to become a judge of somebody else, but to maybe take a test. How am I doing these days? I got to tell you one story, and I don't know if you ever heard this story, but I'll tell it to you real quick. I shouldn't tell things that happen in seminary, because most people think that seminary is a very holy place. (laughs) I did not think it was a very holy place when I was there. Uh, Unlike most people, I went to a four-year seminary and spent five years there. So I did not graduate with my graduating class because I worked full-time the whole time I was there. So when my supposed graduating class was having moving-up day, okay? Picture this, a class of, I don't know, 50, 60 young men, all men at that time. They were moving up to become seniors, and I was seated in the audience at the time. Now, just a few weeks before this moving up ceremony took place, J. Vernon McGee had been there to speak to everyone at the chapel. Some of you have never heard of J. Vernon McGee. Pastored a huge church in Los Angeles for a while. Had a big radio program. Very popular guy. Very outspoken. And during the course of his lecture to us, he made the statement that we are not the best the grace of God can do. Okay? And I don't know, for some reason it just clicked. We're not the best the grace of God can do. I just and and so it's like the whole the whole seminary picked this up. We're not the best the grace of God can do. We're not the best the grace of God can do. So on moving up day for the senior class, they were moving up to the senior position of the school. Not me, cuz I was supposed to, but I had another year to go. And just as the senior class moved up, someone someone had put a banner in a ceiling twice as high as this one in the chapel of the seminary that I went to. A banner behind all the faculty that was seated on the stage. A banner that someone pulled a string and it went across the room. I don't even know how it happened. And this big banner fell down right behind the faculty as the seniors moved up and it said, this is not the best the grace of God can do. I felt riot myself. And as I walked out the door, after the president of the seminary took the podium and said, I will have the people responsible for that in my office immediately. As I walked out the door, my favorite professor said to me, you did that, didn't you? (laughs) What? I did not. I swear to this day, I did not. If I had thought of it, I would have. (laughs) But I didn't. (laughs) Boy, it was a lesson burned into my mind, though. You know, God said, I love you. And what I'm seeing, it's not the best that you can do. When we get to the next chapter of Malachi, God will explain what he's going to have to do to make it the best that we can do. But we live in the position of a people with an indwelling spirit and an understanding of God's grace far beyond that of Israel. And God asks me day in and day out, are you doing the best you can do? It's a test. Nobody knows the score, but God and me good test. How do we measure up? Malachi. Great word from God to Israel and by application to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just humans. We have the same kind of problems Israel had. The community of faith still struggles with who we are living in a world that surrounds us. It's not necessarily even friendly to you, Lord God. Help us to be the best that we can be by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.